Now, let's open up to John, uh, Judges uh, chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. Judges 6, beginning in verse 11, here is the word of God. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth of, at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Ebirezite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty men of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian, do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianite as one man. God, hears your word. We open our hearts humbly, surrendering all our thoughts and um, pre-notions or anything. We humble ourselves. We make our spirit, our mind available uh, utterly to you. As we humble ourselves, may the spirit who lives in us help us to understand and give us the ears to hear. Lord God, speak your truth through your servant, and may we understand what you desire in us. Please bless us with your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last Sunday, we looked at the intro of chapter 6, first 10 verses. And in it, again, like a clockwork, uh, Israelites did evil again. And... Because of their evil against God, for seven years, God gave them, the Lord gave them his own people in the hand of the Midianites. And that was for seven years, yet the duration-wise is not the one of the longest oppression, but uh, it was harshest. It was the most oppressive times in the history of Israel. Some commentators would even argue that it was a lot like their time back in Egypt, their time of slavery. It was that intense. It was that oppressive. It was really tough. It was hard for them to survive and make a living. So in their distress, I'm, I'm sure they tried their best. I'm sure they uh, employed all their options but nothing worked. It gets worse and worse and worse, and they cried out to the Lord finally. Now, Israelites once again cried out to the Lord, yet you know the cycle 
according to the cycle, when they cry out, at the rock bottom of the cycle, when they cry out to the Lord, what does the Lord, what does God do normally? Send the judge. But when you look at the first 10 verses, the Lord does not send a judge. He sends a prophet. And he delivers. Well, prophet, by definition, is a messenger. He's not the preacher. He's just the deliverer of God's message. And there is a message that the Lord wanted to remind his own people. Why you are in your current predicament. Why you are going through this historically oppressive period of time. What was the message? The message was quite simple. Hey, you have forgotten about me. You have forgotten about my promise. You have forgotten about our, our covenant. You have forgotten who I am, what I have done for you, the great saving acts since Egypt and what I've done to give you this land. I am your God, and you are my people. But you have forgotten that. Consequently, because they have forgotten, they decide to forget. By the way, it's not because, you know, old age or some sort of disease that caused them to not to remember. It was their own decision to not to remember. They ignored, and therefore, what that simply means is they took God for granted. And they replaced God. And they themselves were sitting in the place where God was. And because they simply did what was right, what was pleasing to their eyes, and they replaced God with idols in the land. They ignored, and they disobeyed, the commands of God. If you look at verse 10, it simply says, you have, not you have not obeyed me. You disobeyed my voice. It simply means they've done evil in the eyes of God. So in his love, in his grace, in his desire to restore them, receive them back, what does the Lord do in the cycle? He disciplines them. He gave them over to the enemy. And during their oppressive time, in their pain and struggle, they finally cried out to the Lord. But what we talked about last Sunday was simple as this. They were regretful over the consequence of sin itself. They were regretful. But they were not repentant. That was the reason why the Lord sent the messenger when he should have and could have, according to the cycle, send the judge. He didn't send the judge. In his hope, in his desire, that he truly wanted his people to turn to him on their knee, truly repentant, not just simply regretful of what they're, what, what they're dealing with, the consequence of their own action, because that is precisely why they're on this perpetual cycle of offense against their God. Because as soon as judge leads them out, as soon as they are restored back to the top of the cycle where they're blessed, what do they do? Their old habit returns. Their sinful tendency will creep back. 
and they relax. They forget all about their hard times, and they revert back to what seems and feels right for them. In other words, they begin to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Begin to live a life that has nothing to do with being God's people. Why? Why would they revert back? Why is this cycle just keep happening? And that is exactly why he sent the prophet instead of judge. Because you were regretful. You were just sorry. But you are not repentant. You were stuck in the stage of regret, and you are not willing to move beyond that stage into the stage of repentance. My friends, are we any different? If we look at the Israelites, are we any better? Do you and I forget about God? Do you and I forget about cross? Do you and I forget about what God has done for you up to this point? Do you take God for granted? Do you take the Lord Jesus and his cross for granted? Are we just simply regretful when things go wrong? We're just regretful when we get caught by the consequence of our sinful actions, or are we truly repentant? Are you and I truly disgusted with sins in our hearts? Are we disgusted with the, the, the fact that the people, the person that we have become, the life that we are living? Are we repentant? So we would not ever return back to this stage of regret. Are we ready to do anything and everything in order for us to identify and remove the very thing that breaks God's heart that we would cause us to repeat this process over and over and over again? Because we're just simply regretful. Sorry that we're caught. But nothing in us that causes us, I do not want, I wish, I desire never to be on this stage ever again. That is exactly why the Lord sent a prophet. Guys, people, my own people. Because my, my friends, our God is love. As much as he's holy and righteous and just, he is love. So even in his wrath, even in his anger, he sends a prophet to remind them, guys. And he still loves them. How do you know this? Even in his anger, they cry out, and he is working behind the scene to, ch to choose a judge to save his people. Because I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't help this people. I would be like, is there a reset button? Can we start over? This is helpless. This guy is just helpless. Yet, God loves you as you turn to him, as you surrender yourself, your pride, your ego, and you Ask for his help. 
as you humble yourself before and you cry out to him, you're not just regretful, but you are repentant. Lord, I need you every day, every hour. I am nothing without you. I do not want to ever be back here. And he will surely forgive you and restore you. Amen? That's who he is. So, they cried out, and God is already in works. Look at the passage we just read. In verse 12, the Lord heard their cry for help, and he chose a man to save his people. And this guy is Gideon. Now, what was Gideon doing in verse 11 and 12? What was Gideon doing? When the angel of the Lord appeared to him, what was Gideon doing? Was he planning to fight? Was he getting ready? And was he praying? Was he in tune with God? What was he doing? He was threshing wheat in a wine press. He was threshing wheat in a wine press. This tells you he is nothing like the previous judges we have experienced. It's nothing like Othniel, who was brave and faithful warrior. He was nothing like Ehud, who was resourceful and clever, uh, brave. He was nothing like Barak, who was a well-known general of Israel. Who was Gideon? What was he like? He was a coward. He was just a simple man. He was a farmer. He was a man who was so terrified by the enemy. He was so terrified of losing his grain, losing his life. He was threshing wheat in a wine press. Actually, that's the worst place for such tasks. Let me explain. When you thresh wheat, what you do is you harvest wheat and you bundle them up, and you go to a flat rock or slab, and then you beat it. And you gather wheat and put it on a flat basket. And what you do is you go to a threshing floor, some sort of open area, and with that basket, wide basket, maybe it's round and then sharp on the edge, and what you do is you do this. You toss it in the air. You do it in the open space where the wind blows so that the wind will take, separate chaff from the grain. You keep doing this. But what is he doing? Where is he doing this? In a wine press. Now, wine press is a huge stone. They carved out this stone to make a tub. And they put grapes, and the ladies or girls would go on, and they stomp on the graves. They dance around it. Two or three girls get in there. It's like a small tub. That's how the wine, juice, was made before the fermentation takes place. And where was he? In a tiny tub, in there, crouching, hiding, doing this. Why? Think about why. Why was he doing this? Because he was afraid. He was terrified. Because if you do this, what happens? The cloud of chaff will go in the air and then it's going to fly. If you, you can identify who's doing what. And what happens? The enemy will come. They're like, well, 
uh, on a group thread, John was making a point. They're like, what, uh, ants in, in the bug's life? And the grasshopper will come and then it'll just devour it and take the, everything away? It's kind of like that. They come and devour the grain. But here's the thing. They not only take the grain away from Gideon, but they will also take his life. Oh, how dare you? You're supposed to give this back to us. So what was he doing? He was hiding. This is the worst place for you to do this. But why is he doing this? To save his neck, to, to make some grain so that he will survive. His family would survive. He was afraid and he was hiding. That was the description of the so-called judge, of the next judge of Israel. And that's how he is described in the opening scene. Now, the Lord appeared to Gideon. And what does he say in verse 12? The angel declared to Gideon, says, Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel, the Yahweh is with you. Oh, mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, oh, mighty warrior. Now, guys, look, Gideon is doing this. In a tiny wine press, he's doing this. It's not even a large quantity. You do it with a large quantity. He's doing this. And this angel appeared to him. Oh, the Lord is with you, oh, mighty warrior. And as Gideon hears this, I say, mighty warrior? Is there someone else in this tiny wine press? Think about it. He's not one. He was not even a mighty warrior, nowhere close to it. He's not even a foot soldier. He was all about himself, saving his neck and making, gathering little food, little grain. The Lord is with you. I mean, me? Look at verse 13. He has no courage, no intention to meet the enemy, fight the enemy, let alone. He's hiding. He's all about himself, surviving. Upon hearing the, the Lord's, the angel's greeting, this is what Gideon said. And all, it's all questions. What are the questions? In verse 13, three questions. If the Lord is with us, he said, Lord is with you. But then the Lord is with us. If he is with us, as you have said, why has all this happened to us? Why are we going to, through this pain and suffering? Two, if the Lord is with us, where are all the signs and wonders that our fathers told us that happened in Egypt? Why isn't any of those wonderful signs, wonderful deeds being done to us? If the Lord is with us, why did the Lord abandon us, forsaken us? And he has put us in the hand of Midianites. Why? The Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. And he goes, why, why, why? I, I feel like as I read, he, he is like a guy, a reporter asking questions in an interview. He just fired it away because it was brewing in his heart. 
He's being bitter about his own life, bitter about God, bitter about his own situation. He's been thinking about this, pondering about this question for a long time in his heart. So I feel genuinely he was struggling with these questions. And I feel that he could not answer. And first opportunity that he had to be uh, before the angel of the Lord, he asked, why, why, why? Because he could not answer those questions. We can. Why are they in the hand of Midianites and, and being oppressed? Well, because they no longer remember God. They have forsaken God. They have replaced God. Why isn't God performing saving wonders for them like God, he has done in Egypt? Well, because they no longer believe in his power. They no longer trust him. Why did God abandon and gave them into their hands? Well, hoping that they would repent and turn to the Lord once again. But look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. So verse 12 says, The Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. Verse 13, why, why, why? But verse 14, God does not address any of the questions. Right? Instead, the Lord said, go. He says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. I am with you. The Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. Why, why, why? And the Lord said, go. You go. I am sending you. Go with your might. Go with your strength, strength you already have, and go save your people. God is not answering any of those why questions. He makes no attempt to explain. And instead, the Lord just commands Gideon firmly, just go. Go and save Israel. I am sending you. Verse 15. This is the dialogue. Gideon said, Please, Lord. Please, sir. Please. But God, how can I? Do you not know who I am? Do you not know who I am? Don't you know that I am not Capable, capable of this. Don't you know what I was doing here? Don't you know how I'm afraid and terrified? God, you got the wrong guy. Right? Please, Lord, you got the wrong guy. And he explains in verse 15, this is very interesting. This is his own assessment of him, his life and his worth. Look at verse 15. He says, I am the least in my family, and my family is the poorest family in the weakest clan, and my clan is in not so prominent tribe of Israel, which is Manasseh. That's just who I am. Out of 12, the weakest tribe, and out of the 12, 
And in that tribe, my clan is the weakest. Out of that poor clan, weak clan, our family is the weakest and poorest. And out of that family, I am the least in my father's house. I'm a loser. I'm no one. I'm nobody. I can't get anything right. I haven't done anything with my life. I am nobody. And you tell me that I go with my strength and save these people? You got the long guy. It's like, God, I, I, I appreciate your vote of confidence, your faith in me. But I'm not the one. I mean, put yourself in that shoes. You're looking over your shoulder. I, me? You want me to go? But once again, the Lord does not address his concern. I am not ready. I am nowhere close to be ready. I am not the one. Yet the Lord does not even try to explain his thought process or encourage him to go. He doesn't do any of those. Look at verse 16. Another dialogue, another response. The Lord said to Gideon, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God is saying, well, thank you for your honest assessment of your own life. Thank you, I appreciate you, but I already know who you are. But I'm going to be with you, and I have chosen you out of all the man in Israel, I have chosen you, and I'll be with you for this very task, and you shall strike the Midianites. He was not a soldier. He never been in battle. The guy is so afraid, it is hiding in a tiny wine press, and just small grain, separate, trying to separate the chaff from the grain. And as he was doing this, that's, that's who Gideon was. Church, Gideon was a simple farmer. He was weak. He was afraid. He was nothing close to be a mighty warrior as the angel declared him to be. He was not even a foot soldier. He himself knows that he is nothing close to it and nothing going for him in his own life. He really had nothing to boast about of himself. God, I, I think I know why you are choosing me. There's nothing of that in Gideon. And more importantly, he really has no trust in God. As he is listening to God's own voice, he does not have any faith, any trust, in God's own declaration of what he will do through his life. This is just unbelievable state. He has no faith. He was filled with doubt. He is filled with bitterness about God, about the situation, about his own life. I am nobody. I'm nothing. I'm no one in my father's house. And our father is no one in the clan, and our clan is the weakest tribe out of 12. We're nothing, and I am the worst. And he's bitter about himself. For you to out loudly, I just declare who you really are like that, 
It's also been brewing. He just could not believe anything what God had to say. I am with you. You are a mighty warrior. I am sending you to address these all these why questions. And I will strike down your enemy with you, through you, because I'll be with you. There's nothing unique, nothing special about him. At best, anything positive I can say about Gideon, which she's perfectly ordinary. Just perfectly ordinary person. Clearly, he's not a judgmenter. He's not a judgmenter. But in God's eyes, he is. God says he is. Like, why? In God's eyes, he is a mighty warrior. He is a savior. He is the judge of Israel. That he will strike down all the Midianites. And you have, you have to wonder why, how? Is there something that we have missed as we were reading through it? Is there something that Gideon has in him potentially something untapped, unrealized, raw potential that only God knows? I don't think there is. Then why did God call Gideon to be the next judge? What qualified him? We, we love to ask that question. What qualified you to be who you are and to be sitting in where you sit? We always question that about someone else. What qualified him? What qualified Gideon for him to be a mighty warrior, a, the next judge? Only thing we can tell out of this text, what qualified him to be the judge is because God was with him. Because God was with him. The Lord was with him. In the eyes of God, how skillful Gideon was, how brave and courageous Gideon was in the battlefield is not the requirement. It's not the qualification he is looking for. In the eyes of God, whoever the person may be, but that person is with the Spirit of the Lord, then he is a mighty warrior of God. Because look at verse 14. We're, were you not somewhat confused what the Lord said to Gideon? He says, go in this might of yours and save Israel. Go in this might of whose? Yours. Gideon, yours. Go with your strength. Go with your power and save Israel. Verse 14. But what strength, what power does he have? What strength, what might? He's a farmer. I know farmers are strong. They're strong people. But seriously, what does he have? What kind of strength did Gideon have to go up against pretty formidable enemy that caused the most oppressive time in the history of Israel? And if he really had that strength, why was he hiding? Why was he not looking to uh, uh, be found by the enemy and, and avoid all at all costs to not to fight the enemy. 
If he had strength, why didn't he go already? Why didn't he fight the enemy? If he had strength, why would he uh, respond to God like this? Why, why, why? I'm no one. You made a mistake. I'm not the guy. If he had the strength. But he clearly says, God clearly says in verse 14, go in this might, strength, power of yours and save Israel. He had no strength. There is no power. He doesn't even have strength. He doesn't even believe in himself. He can't even rescue himself. That's why he was hiding, threshing in a wine press. And why would God tell him to go in the might, in the strength he had, Gideon had? What would Gideon accomplish if he was to rely on his own strength? Nothing. There's nothing to be done. But church, God is not referring to the strength of Gideon. In verse 12, if you look at it, God is referring to the strength of Gideon when God is with him. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He already said that in verse 11, verse 12. And also in verse 13, 14, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you, verse 16, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one. He is a mighty warrior all because the Lord is already with him. And that is why the greeting, he receives such greeting. Almighty warrior, the Lord is with you. He is warrior. He does not know of himself or the power that he possessed because the presence of the Lord himself. He doesn't know. But because he is present with the spirit of the Lord is with Gideon, he is a mighty warrior. So what God is saying really in verse 14 is this, go in the strength you have through me, through my presence in you. And then you save Israel. Now, out of this text, the important thing that we need to understand, as I said, Gideon is nothing like the judges previously. What you have to understand here in this story is not about how weak, how scared uh, Gideon was and how he was transformed to be a mighty warrior because it's not about his transformation. It's not about that. But it is all about what happens to any individual who truly knows and believes that God is present in his or in her life. What happens to that individual? Because of his presence, in that person's life, God, what God stands for, what God has in his disposal becomes his or her own strength. God's might, God's power becomes his might. So the Lord said, go, Gideon, you go. In the strength that is already in you because I am with you. 
Gideon has nothing. But he has everything. He just does not realize it. He just does not believe and trust. I was thinking to myself, can I relate to Gideon? Absolutely. You can relate to Gideon. How often are you afraid? How often are we scared? How often do we feel like we are defeated? We feel like no one, nobody loses. How often do we feel like we don't know what is going on with our own life? How often are we discouraged and even being bitter about our own life, bitter about God, bitter about the situation we're in? Maybe we're like Gideon. In so many different ways, we're hiding in a tiny wine press. Hiding, afraid. I don't want to be out there. I don't want to get caught with the situation. I'm just terrified. But this morning, we see God speaking to Gideon, and God is speaking to you and I as well. You need to go. Go, for I am your Lord, and I am with you. You can go. And I have amazing, wonderful things that I will do with you and through you, for I am present in your life. What I have is yours to use. The power that raised my son, the power that resurrected Jesus Christ, the power that saved you and took you out of Satan's domain and I put you in my kingdom, that power is my power. And because I am present in your life, this power is yours to use. So go. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Go and say, go and do the work that I am commanding you to do. Folks, that's the message. He sees you not as a loser. He's, he does not see you as no one. He sees you as his mighty warrior. Not because you have something to prove. Not because you already established yourself. Simply because he is with you. And in his strength, we go. Let's pray. Folks, in the message we have, the Lord speaks to us. He is with us. Jesus, who is Emmanuel, is with us. God, you are present, living in us. And because of you, the power you have, the strength you bring, we become a brave, courageous soldier. We become a mighty warrior for you and your kingdom. We just simply pray that we will possess the understanding of who we truly are when God is with us. May we understand that we possess the strength of God himself. 
that we will understand we can do all things that you desire, you command us to do. Simply because you are present, simply because you give us strength and power to do so. God, as we go back to our places, as we are faced with difficult situations, as we are faced with many decisions, oh God, I pray that we would understand that God is with us and what that really truly means to us. Help us to see beyond what the world tells us to be and who we are. Help us to see the true worth we have in Jesus Christ. If the Lord commands us to go, we shall go with courage, with faith, with conviction that Lord will make the way for us. The Lord will prepare the way for us. He will bring victory. He will guide us and bless us. We will not fail. We will not lose. But we need that faith. So God, when we hear these words, may we not question you. May we not ask why. But yes, Lord, you are with me. And I will go. Whatever that means in our own walk, in our own life, help us to understand, Lord, when and where you want us to rise and go for your sake, for your purpose. And may we humbly say, yes, Lord, I trust in your power, in your presence. As we go back to our places, Lord, I pray that as you promised, go with us, be present in us. May your power be evident in any situation among any group of people. And may they see the power, the glory of our God and praise the glorious name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. Pray that you will protect us and you will lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.